Good to see you today. I know we've got about 50 people, I think, that left at 2 o'clock yesterday morning from going to Corner Church, headed to the beach together. So I was kind of expecting a slim crowd, and that's not what we have, and I'm so glad that you're here, because today I'm going to do my dead-level best to help you recover something you've lost. It's something that you used to possess. And oh, what a treasure it was. This, this treasure enabled you to weather the fiercest of storms and endure the darkest nights. With it, in spite of your circumstances, you rose each day anticipating the best. But tragically, somewhere along your journey, you lost this precious gem. You no longer greet the day anticipating deliverance or good fortune or better days. And I know why. You've lost hope. You've been going through trying times for a long time. In the beginning of these difficult days, it was hope that carried you from one day to the next to the next. You believed that things would eventually get better. You really did. You believed that. But they haven't. Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. And for some of you, months have now turned into years. Things haven't gotten better. As a matter of fact, things may have gotten worse. Each unsolved problem, each crushing disappointment... You know, each unanswered prayer has eroded your hope. Am I right? If so, I'm encouraging you to listen very carefully to this sermon because it is for you. Today, I want to help you hope again. And to do this, i got to tell you a story that's found in the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 6 and chapter 7. Benadad, king of Aram, had besieged the city of Samaria, which was the capital of Israel. He wasn't allowing anyone to enter the city. He wasn't allowing anyone to exit. And in time, this produced a great famine, as you can just imagine. The famine was so bad that people were resorting to eating things that you and I would never think of eating. I'll give an example. If you were kind of well-to-do, if you had some means, you could go to the local meat market and you could buy a donkey's head. Now listen to me, a donkey's head is bringing top money, uh, 80 pieces of silver, which would have been like a two-pound wedge of silver you would give in exchange for this donkey's head. Greg, can you imagine this? You're going to go home and somehow I know you're going to prepare this. I don't know how you prepare a donkey's head. The question I had this week was, what was happening being to like the ground donkey, the fillet of donkey? Who was getting that? If, if the well-to-do were, were you know, settling for a donkey's head, i got to imagine you had kind of these tears. Maybe royalty were grilling the ground donkey on the grill. I, I don't know. The well-to-do were left with the head. But what about blue-collar workers? What were they eating? Well, you would go down to the market, 
five pieces of silver, two ounces of silver, you could purchase a 10-ounce cup of dove's dung. And what did they do? Did they fertilize tomato plants with it? No. They ate it. You go, now Ronnie, wait a minute. Let me see if we're on the same page here. When you say dove's dung, is it what I'm thinking it was? It's exactly what you're thinking it was. So you had kind of royalty, they're eating you know, the ground donkey, you got the, the well-to-do donkey's head, you got the middle class eating dove droppings. What about the poor? What were they eating? The king of Samaria walked through town one day and a lady ran up to him and she said, King, King, I, need, I desperately need your help. Well, he's under a lot of stress, as you can imagine. So he turned and he kind of snapped at her. And he said, what would you like for me to do? Will you want me to go to the market and buy you some groceries? Uh, while I'm at it, do you want me to run by Total Wine and get you a bottle of wine to, to drink with your meal tonight? I mean, what do you want? If God is not going to help us, what do you think I can do? Then he realized something. This woman wasn't to blame. And he calmed down, he said, what can I do for you? She said, yesterday, I was talking with this lady, and she had a suggestion. It was an idea. She suggested that we kill my son, butcher him, cook him, and eat him. We made this deal that if you, if you will do that, then tomorrow we will do the same to my son. So, King, I killed my boy. I cooked him, and together with this other lady, we ate him. Now, today, I went to her house for lunch, and she has now hidden her son. That's what the poor were doing. When the king heard this, he was irate. He took an oath. He said, if I haven't severed the prophet Elisha's head from his body by the end of the day, I just want God to kill me. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's, who's this prophet Elisha? And what was this guy, what was the king's problem with him? Well, the prophet Elisha was the national prophet of Israel, kind of been like Billy Graham in our day. I mean, he's the guy, he was the main guy that God spoke through. What's his problem? What's the king's problem with the what's, what's the problem with the preacher? Well, Elisha, in the meantime, he's sitting at his house in a meeting. And he stopped the meeting, looked at the guys in the room, he said, Guys, hang on just a minute. Something's about to go down here. He said, uh, The king, and he referred to him as a murderer. He said, There's a murderer coming to my door. He's got a little entourage with him, and they're coming to cut off my head. I'm going to ask you guys to do me a favor. When they get here, would you kind of hold them at the door? That sounds like a reasonable request. Just kind of hold them at the door. The next thing you know, here comes the king. Here's the, here's the entourage. And I want you to look what, what an exchange took place. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 33. The Bible said, while Elisha was still saying this, the messenger arrived. And the king said, all this misery is from the Lord. Now look at this. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? 
Reasonable question. Elisha gives him an answer. Chapter 7, verse 1. Elisha replied, listen to this message from the Lord. You catch that? Listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. Don't you catch up? Pay attention to this. And 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. He said, you want to know why you ought to wear on the Lord? About this time tomorrow, you could take the same thing you've been buying uh, 10 ounces of doves done. You'll get 30 quarts of choice flour. Not just any flour. I'm talking about the good stuff. Same thing. You were paying for 10 ounces of dove done. You'll get 30 quarts of choice flour. Or you could get 60 quarts of barley grain with the same money by this time tomorrow. The king of Israel was furious with Elisha. Apparently, in the early days of the siege, he had gone to Elisha asking for advice. I think he had it in his mind, the best thing we could do is surrender now. And Elisha advised him, don't do that. Don't give up. Don't give in here. He said... uh, as a matter of fact, here's what you have to do. Wait patiently on the Lord. He's going to deliver us. Let's wait patiently on the Lord. The king followed Elisha's counsel, and what happened? Did, the, uh, did God rescue the, the, these Israelites? No. He didn't. With the passing of time, their situation just worsened. Therefore, the king blamed Elisha and planned to kill him for giving him bad advice. Be careful about the advice. You just say, he said, the guy gave me bad advice. I'm going to execute him. It seems to me now that the king has come back to Elisha, and once again, he's considering surrender. And once again, Elisha goes, please don't do that. Here's what I think you ought to do. You ought to wait on the Lord. The king asked, Can you give me one good reason? We've been here before. You've given me this this advice before. Can you give me one good reason I should wait on the Lord any longer? Elisha responded with a message from the Lord. God told the king through the lips of the prophet, and here's the Hodge paraphrase of what he said, this is about over, and better days are coming. God spoke through his man and said, you want, to, you want to know why you ought to wait on me? Why you need to be patient with me? Because this ordeal that you've been in for so long, it's just about over. And better days are coming. That was God's message to the king of Israel. And today, I believe this with all my heart. That is God's message to someone in this room, someone watching online. That's the message God gave me to bring here to you today. I want you to listen to it. I want you to open up your heart. I want you to open your mind. I want you to let these words sink down deep. This is what God sent me here to say to you today. It's about over. You hearing me? Whatever this is you've been going through for so long, that's that's taken such a toll, it's been so costly, it's about over. And better days are coming. You saw yourself in this story, didn't you? Like the Israelites, one day trouble showed up in your world. And it seems like ever since that day, trouble has been your constant companion. 
things have gone from bad to worse and kind of like the king in this story, you just can't take anymore. You know what happened to you, don't you? Your faith fled. And when it did, it took hope with it. Therefore, this is what I think many of you are doing. I think you're contemplating giving up. Kind of like the king in the story. You're contemplating surrender. You're, th you're thinking that maybe you just need to give up on God. Well, before you throw in the towel, please hear what God is saying to you. It's about over. And better days are coming. This dark, difficult chapter in your life is, is, is going to end and end soon. And a better chapter is going to unfold. So don't give up. Now, I know what many of you are thinking. Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie. That's just simply too good to be true. You don't understand how far gone my situation is. Ronnie, it would just be absolutely impossible uh, for this situation to end and for me to enter into better days. Well, if that's the way you're thinking, you need to hear the rest of the story. On the evening that Elisha had presented this good news to the king, there were four leprous men sitting outside the gate of the city. And they had an interesting conversation among themselves. One guy must have looked at the other three and said, Hey, what's our plan here? Plan? What's our plan? What are our options? One said, Well... We could just sit here, and if we do, we're going to die. 100% chance we're going to die. All right, what else? Let's, that's not doesn't sound like a good, what's another option? One said, I do what we do. We could break protocol. We could go into the city. And what good would that do? This is what some, one, of them, one of them said to the others. Well, there's no food in there either. If we go into the city... We die. 100% chance. We sit here, we die. We go in there, we die. Is there, is there another option? One of them said, yeah, I'll tell you what we do. Let's go over there and surrender to the Arameans. What are they going to do? Kill us? Huh? That's what he said. What's the worst thing they can do? Kill us? We're going to die anyway. But there is this slim chance. That they may keep us alive. Maybe they'll make us their prisoners. Maybe they make us their slaves. I don't know. But we die if we sit here. Die going there. We may die. But there's a slim chance that we could stay alive. What do you think? They agreed. Let's try it. So at twilight, these four lepers start to the Aramean camp. I guess you could say they're demonstrating some degree of faith, Donnie. They start at the airman camp. They get there. They get to the edge of the camp. And they're surprised by what they found. I'm sure they were anticipating that they were going to be met by guards. Aramean soldiers protecting the perimeter of the camp. We don't have to go through them. If we survive them, you know, they'll take us in. There were no guards. No sentries. No watchmen. So they go into the town. And it's vacant. 
No children playing. There's nothing. There's nobody. I imagine they yelled, hey, 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 you know, anybody home? Walk from one end of the camp to the other. There's nobody. How do you explain this? As they were walking toward the Aramean camp, God did one of those things that he alone can do. He caused the Arameans to start hearing something that wasn't there. Yeah, Ronnie, what did they hear? They heard the approach of hundreds of horses galloping. They, I tell you, the sound of the hooves were, were like thunder. They, could, they heard it distinctly. They all heard it. They heard it clearly. You know what they assumed? Boggs, they assumed the cavalry is coming. That's not all they heard. They could hear the squeak and the creak of chariot wheels. Oh, distinctly. They, they, they surmised it's not just the uh, cavalry. They're bringing the artillery. Those are chariots coming. In addition, they heard the low roar of a large army approaching. So they're thinking, cavalry, artillery, infantry. Man, somebody's bringing out the big guns against us. Somebody said, I'll tell you what's happened. The the nations surrounding Israel, they formed an alliance, and they're coming to, to rescue Israel from our siege. Panic overtook them to the point that they fled for their lives. The Bible said they ran madly into the night. They didn't stop and saddle up a horse to ride off with. They left them. No mule, Greg. They, They left them standing. They didn't cut off the stove. They didn't grab their wallet. They just went running wildly into the night for their lives. And so these four guys walk into camp and they found everything just as it was. I, I can see this big Dutch oven sitting over an open fire. Got a big stew in it. The Bible, this is what the Bible said. These guys went from tent to tent eating. Raiding the fridge. What, what's, what's in here? It said that they uh, gladly opened up one bottle of wine after another. And they drank. Hey, listen, these guys are feasting, they're partying. You know what they're thinking? Our ship came in, boys. You know, we've always dreamed of something like this. Man, our ship came in to that. There was money everywhere, and so silver and gold. Nobody, like I said, they didn't think to put a wallet. They just start collecting all this money. They didn't have money. I was there, there were clothes. Fine. These guys, how long do you think of business that had a change of clothes? They're going through the camp, they're eating, they're drinking. They're, they're gathering up silver and gold. They're gathering up clothes. The Bible said they went out and they found them places where they could hide this stuff. And you know there's always a wet blanket in every crowd, right? Sometime in the middle of the night, one of these guys looked at the other and said, we're not doing right. <laughs> we're not doing right. What? <laughs> What is it about this? It's not right. Huh? It seems to me like everything's going right for us tonight. He said, no, you don't understand. I don't know what happened here. But I do know this. It wasn't just for the four of us. And we've been delivered. 
But so is everybody else in the city of Samaria. They've been delivered too. All of this food and all this wealth. and all, It wasn't just for the four of us. It's got to be for everybody in this city as well. And this is, this, is the way he, this is the way he reasoned it. He said, along with this deliverance and along with these blessings, we've been given an awesome responsibility. We now know good news. And if we don't go in there and share it, we're doing the wrong thing. Now, I could preach a sermon out there, but we're not going to do that. That's, maybe that's for another time. So they agreed. They go to the gatekeeper of the town. They tell him this story. It sounded too good to be true, right? They're just gone? Yep. The gatekeeper passed it on to somebody that worked in the palace. Whoever this was felt it was necessary to go wake up the king. In the middle of the night, they got the king up. They told him, this is what these guys are telling us. You know what the king said? I smell a rat. This is a trap. That's what it is. It's a trap. These Arameans are clever. They have pulled back into the darkness. They're hiding in the bushes. And they, they're using all this stuff as bait. And when we go out there, it's just they're luring us. And we go out there, they're going to come in and seize us. And they're going to kill us. That's what this is. And somebody that worked for him said, King, we're all going to die anyway. We're dying anyway. I think it's worth looking into. Give me two chariots. And let me in, and, and, let me in, and, and some guys go scout this out. The king agreed. They go over to the Aramean camp, and they begin to track the Arameans. It's obviously not in the camp, so they track. It was easy. Because the Bible said they left a trail of equipment and clothing. I don't know, man, it kind of reminded me of that first three miles on the AT when all these people got an 80 pound pack and they're going to go, you know, they're going for a 2,000 mile walk. And that first three or four miles, you're finding hatchets and machetes and all this. There are people going, I'm not going to be able to make it with it. I think it was kind of that way. They were just, you know, there were, there were clothing, pocket knives, all kind of stuff just strewn everywhere. They followed them easily down to the Jordan River and realized these guys are really gone. They go back and tell the king. The king issued a proclamation to the citizens of Samaria. And look what happened, verse number six, chapter 7, verse number 16. It said, Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true that six quarts of choice flour were sold that day for one piece of silver, and twelve quarts of barley grain were sold for one piece of silver. This is a huge phrase, and I don't see it on the screen. You're going to have to trust me on this. This is where it reads, Just as the Lord had promised. That's what it said. Everything went down just as the Lord had promised. God made the Israelites a promise. And He kept it. You know why He did that? He's faithful. He always keeps His word. God made the Israelites another promise. He promised that on the heels of adversity, there would be great prosperity. He kept that promise too. Do you know how God did that? He's able. What if these Israelites had given up? They would have missed out on everything God did. They would have missed God's deliverance and His blessings. 
In hindsight, I'm sure they were glad that they gave God just a little more time. You know that's all God is asking from you. He wants you to give Him just a little more time. He doesn't want you to miss out on what He has planned for you. Your God is still faithful and your God is still capable. He's not going to let you down and He is well able to turn your bad times into good times. It's about over. And better days are coming. So I want you to hope again. Let me pray for you. As I read this story this week, I found it inundated with people who would hear good news and immediately respond, that's not going to happen. That's absolutely too good to be true. I'm going to ask you to do one thing here. Because that thought is circling in some of your minds. So much of this story fits your life. And in your mind, you, you heard that it's about over and better days are coming. You're thinking, I wish that were for me. Why wouldn't it be? You say, it sounds too good to be true. I don't want you to fall into that mindset. I know God sent me here today with this simple message, and I know that it's for someone listening to the sermon right now. I bet it's for you. And I want you to believe it. I want you to leave here today expecting it. I want you to leave here today full of hope. Father, that is my prayer. For everyone gathered around today, everyone listening online, everyone here in the auditorium, and God, I know, I know how dark life can be without hope. And I just pray this. I'm praying that the, spark, the tiny spark of hope that was in someone's heart as they entered this building today or as they turned on the service today, or I just pray this, that that spark would, would grow into a flame, an all-consuming flame, and that people would leave here anticipating you stepping into their situation delivering them, reversing their fortunes, and allowing them to experience better days once again. God, I'm asking you that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you. You're free to go.